5 out of the book of James. We're getting ready to finish uh, chapter 4 and jumping into chapter 5. But we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, and I told you we would come back and finish up this thought. I hope we can do that today and apply it and make it meaningful for all of us here today. I, I really think of all of the book of James, this could be truly uh, the most significant passage in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Listen to it. It deals with a number of things that um, you can see on your outline, the sin of presumption, knowing and doing the will of God. So let's listen to it very carefully, and uh, then we will jump into a study of the uh, verses. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. Father, we thank you and praise you for this time of worship that we have experienced. We thank you that we've been able to, for I I would say most of us here in this congregation, to truly sing from the heart today, to express to you in the language of of music, and, and as we have heard the scriptures being read, express to you our deepest gratitude for our salvation in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I I certainly want to mingle my prayers with the prayers that have gone on before. Uh, A prayer of thanksgiving for our mothers here today and for others who physically have never experienced that, but who are truly, as the Old Testament calls them, mothers in Israel, that they have poured their lives into uh, a multitude of children and young people as well. Thank you for those dear ladies as well. Today I want to lift up um, folks that are serving, that we support uh, all over the world, and specifically Brandon and Jennifer Becker and their children, Lindley and Joshua. Lord, thank you for the ministry that they work with, Dynamic Church Planting International. Thank you that uh, through Brandon's work that they are literally seeing training for uh, pastors, for those who are leaders in the church all over the world, and we lift them up and pray for them today. Now, Father, we need your wisdom and insight, and so would you guide us through this important passage of Scripture? We, we simply cannot, Lord, we know, get to everything, so help us to get to the main things today. We thank you. We praise you. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Children, that was a good uh, reminder from Pastor Jimmy about how we ought to appreciate our moms. Let me turn to the moms for just a moment, though, and uh, let's get down to the reality, the, the brass tacks, 
of everyday life? Help me out now, moms. What are some of the most annoying things that you've ever heard your children say? Well, I don't know. I can't speak for you, but I'll just give you a few examples, and maybe you can relate to some of these. And, and, and hopefully our children grow out of these as they grow up, right? Here's one thing, one of the most annoying. Mine. Let's try another one on for size. It's not fair. Now, I'm not going to stop and talk about all of these or we would be here all day. Here's another one. I would imagine, just like Jim learned his lesson with the swing experience, that uh, your children would learn their lesson here. You're not the boss of me. I want it now. You never let me do anything. I don't like you. Now, here's one that it, all of those are, they've been around for a long time, but there's been a new phrase uh, since probably about the 80s that if you're in a discussion with a child that's a little bit older and you're trying to get a point across and with one word they speak a whole paragraph, a whole sentence of meaning when they say whatever. A statement of dismissal, a statement that says, I really don't care what you say. Now, here is what I propose today, and you see a little bit about that in your sermon outline, one of the words that can be translated a little bit differently that will help us. I think it will be very helpful. Here's what I want you to do, and children, if you've ever said some of those phrases, uh, just repent, ask forgiveness, get back in good graces with your mom, adults, if you've said those things. You get back into good graces with whomever you need to. And let's change that. Let's keep the word whatever. But let's change it to something that James speaks about in this passage. And by the end of the message, here's what I will want you to do. Before the Lord, I will hope that you will say, Whatever, Lord, you want me to do because I care very much that your way is the best way for my life. Now, you see the outline in front of you. Let's look at this. We've got several different things that we want to talk about. First of all, I read this to you a moment ago. We're not going to go back and reread it. But in verses 13 and 14, and then jump over 15 to verse 16, you'll, you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, here is basically what we said, and we're going to summarize this. What you must never say, and why you must never say it. James says, you must never say that I am going to do this. Basically, here's the, here's the summary statement, the paraphrase. Stop acting like you are in control of your life. It's an illusion. And if you don't believe that, you just look back to last week when you were on your way to work or someplace else, school maybe, and you needed to get there in a timely fashion and there was a car wreck. Did that happen to anybody last week? 
a car wreck up ahead of you, and all of a sudden you came to a standstill, and you thought you were going to get there on time, and you ended up being 30 minutes late. Or what about the last time that you were checking out at the grocery store? Maybe I'm the only one who does this, but as I'm walking to the front, I look for how many lanes are open. I gauge who is going to be the quickest, who has the fewer numbers of things, and invariably it doesn't matter who I choose because even if the the, the woman in front of me or the man has two things, they've got to do a price check. And if you can't control two little things like that, what makes you think that you control your life? The reality is that your tomorrow, listen to me, some of you older adults especially, the, the, the tomorrow that you have so carefully planned out might very well unfold differently than you ever thought. Because, that's what you must say, but here's why you must never say it, because life, at least on earth, right now is uncertain, and life is brief. And we said this a couple of weeks ago. This does not mean that you do not plan. Please plan. The Bible is full of different exhortations that say you should plan. It's a wise thing to do. And it's a foolish thing for you not to plan. But what James is saying is that your planning, all of it, I don't care how little or how big, ought to always include God and His will. Stop pushing God out of the picture, either knowingly or unknowingly. Because ultimately, I want you to get this, even if you've been trying to push God out of the picture of your life, you ultimately can't do that. Stop just pretending that He's not there. Stop playing God and fighting God in your life. By the way, that is a classic definition of sin. Playing God as if I am the one who's in control of my life and fighting against his commands. We're going to come to that, the very last verse, for him who knows the right thing to do and who does not do it, to him it is sin. So that's a summary statement of what we must never say and why we must never say it. Have you got that? Okay, let's move on. Let's move on to the positive. Don't want to park on just the negative. Let's move on to the positive. What you must say. James puts it like this, and all of the translations that I've looked at say, here's what you ought to say, if the Lord wills. But when you look up that word in a standard Greek lexicon, there is another word that can stand in as a translation, not just if, as a conditional statement, but it can also be translated whatever, which changes the thought, doesn't it? Instead of just, well, if the Lord wills, I will do this or that. I will live. Change it to this and see if it wouldn't make a difference in your life. And I'm talking about really. Don't just listen to this as another sermon that you're here to hear on a Mother's Day, but what would happen in your life today, even for for, for many of you who've walked with the Lord 
as I have for many years, what would happen in every area of your life if you just asked and lived out today whatever you will, Lord, I am ready to do. See, James calls him the Lord. That's the primary title of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so learn to say, whatever you, Lord, want for me, I will do. Now, does God have a plan for your life? I heard one yes. Ed, I'm glad you know. Let me ask, obviously, you don't have to be as interactive as Ed is. I love it. He, he just, he kind of eggs me on sometimes. But I want you to really think about this. Does God have a plan for your life? Now, I just realized, let me see if I've got another slide. That is not what it says, Psalm 135.6. It's 139. Okay. Here's what 135.6 says. The reason I remember this is I, 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 I know it was the case for Jason, at least, our oldest. One of the first verses that I ever taught him to memorize. Do you remember this verse? Can you say it with me, Jason? Whatever. Disregard this. He's looking back to see if I'm talking to another Jason. <laughs> and this is what we were trying to say is foundational. Whatever the Lord pleases he does in the heavens and the earth and the seas and in all the deeps you know folks if God has a plan for the whole universe the whole cosmos he has a plan for your life and that reference which one is it again thank you 139 is and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me look at that when as yet there was not one of them I you need to understand that God has a will for your life. There's another verse that is great, and I've quoted it not only out of the ESV, but also in the message. The message sometimes is a mess, but in some cases it really helps to, to, to shed light on what the author's intent was. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand and the message says this, we humans keep brainstorming options and plans. Sounds like it's right out of James chapter 4, doesn't it? But God's purpose prevails. It was Thomas Akempis who said, as a paraphrase of this verse, man proposes, God disposes. You understand, don't you, that everything in the universe operates according to laws. I'm talking about physical laws. You do understand that. So that if we cooperate with those laws, those universal laws that are in place, and if we obey them, then the universe works with us. But if we fight against the universal laws and disobey them, then the universe works against us. Let me give you a vivid illustration from just the last several weeks. 
you go to the Grand Canyon and you disregard the signs that people have put up, you step around the boundary and you're trying to take a selfie, as several people have done and lost their footing, you know what they've done? They have trifled with the universal law of gravity. And when they left terra firma, the law of gravity took over with tragic consequences. I cannot even imagine what that would be like. But I want you to get this. God's will is similar to that. God has put into place certain spiritual laws. And if you will cooperate with those laws, you will find those laws working for you. But if you work against those laws, if you disobey those universal spiritual principles, you will find those laws working against you. So if Jesus is Lord, and if we are his, and I'm speaking to Christians today, we must do his will. God has a plan from eternity past to eternity future. And I'll even put it like this, because I, it's amazing how many people I talk to who tell me they're afraid of God's will. Now, they may not say it in those words, but I can just see it and hear it in other things that they say. They're afraid of God's word. What could be more thrilling than to be part of the plan and the purpose from the God who created the universe and who is unfolding his plan for us every day? So I've listed six things on your outline here, and, and I shared with you uh, two weeks ago that these are not original from me. I took this outline from uh, a, a pastor teacher who loves to alliterate, uh, Pastor John MacArthur. He wrote a book some years ago called Found God's Will, and he elaborates more on these. But let's just do this. Let's take these in chunks of three. So we're going to talk about the first one. It's God's will. And now you, you need to know this. We talked about this several weeks ago, but we need to be reminded of some of the things, universal laws, that God has put into place, okay? Here's the first one. It is God's will to save people. I've already said this, but I'll say it again. No matter what your theological persuasion, you must believe that when the Word of God says that He desires, there is a part of His heart that desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires that people be saved. Secondly, it's God's desire that Christians who are saved be filled with the Spirit. Now, again, we're not going to get a lot into this, but remember that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you, you are put into Christ. This is a spiritual reality. Baptism is a picture of this. You are put all the way into Christ. That's why we practice immersion. And the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes to live inside of you. He indwells you, never to leave you again. And there's only one time that that happens. And so somebody has coined the phrase, there is one spirit baptism, but there are many, many 
fillings. It's God's will that you be filled with the Spirit. Can I ask you a question today from, from the students all the way around? This morning, did you pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit? You say, I don't know what that means. At the very minimum, it means to be filled with who he is so that you are living his life in concert with the person he is who lives in your heart. Did you pray that today? That ought to be a prayer that you pray, and it's more than just words. You are seeking in your heart, Lord, fill me. Before I, 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 would, I was just standing there a moment ago and said, Lord, fill me with your spirit. It's your will that I be filled with your spirit. Guard my mouth. Fill me with your spirit. But you, you know, I ought to be asking that when I go home to spend time with, with Jan and then later on with, with my family and all this week, whoever I talk to, whatever I do, wherever I go, Lord, may I be filled with your spirit. It is your will. And then the verse in Colossians, it's a parallel verse, not only to be filled with the word, the spirit, but to be filled with God's word as well. Then there's a third thing, and then we're going to stop, and we're going to try to apply that. It is God's will that you be sanctified. For this is the will of God. Now watch this. Your sanctification, it means the process. You've already been justified. You're already in Christ. But now the process of growing to be more like Christ, more holy, more set apart. That's what that word sanctification all means. So God's will is your sanctification. And then he zeroes in on an area He could zero in on a lot of areas, but he zeroes in on this one area. I don't know all of the reasons why, but he says that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body. And that word could be its vessel. It could be also your spouse. You control not only yourself, but you live with your spouse in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So it's God's will that you be saved. And in this context, the things that go with it, that, that are, are true of you, that you're filled with His Spirit, that every day you're seeking to walk in sanctification. Now let me just stop and talk about this salvation thing because I, I see today, and I've seen it for years, and even in, in the best of Christians, sometimes we, we don't always understand what it means to truly be saved. Let me just speak to someone. I don't know if there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus. But if you are here, then I would say this to you. There are many problems in life. There are relational problems. There are economic problems. There are uh, political problems. There are... I just, just there are health problems, but there is one problem that trumps them all. And yet most of mankind has never done anything about this problem. The problem is actually twofold, okay? 
I want you to follow me. The problem is actually twofold. And it's this. It's the problem of a bad record or history, and it's the problem of a bad heart. Let me give you a verse that kind of illustrates that. Jesus said in Matthew 15, he was trying to get people to understand what he came to do. All right? He came to save people from, his, from their sins. And, and he made this statement, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And in saying this, and then, then he lists some other things. This defiles a person, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And so what Jesus is saying, that you've got to understand, you not only have a bad record, you've done bad things, bad actions. Your history is sullied in heaven, okay? But there's a place from which that comes. It comes from the heart. So Jesus did not come just to save us from our sins. And that's where we focus most of the time. He came to forgive us of our sins. Folks, he also came to forgive you of your sin. Because the sinful things that you and I do grow out of a sinful heart with which we were born. It goes all the way back to Adam, our first father. And so the problem is original sin, we might say, and personal sin. It's a sinful lifestyle that grows out of a sinful bent or orientation, the heart. And the only solution for this sin problem, this twofold sin problem, is the gospel. Only the gospel saves us not only from what we do, but what we are. Again, let me say it. Christ died for sins, and Christ died for sin. He died and rose to give us a new record and a new heart. He sent His Holy Spirit into us to keep us and to enable us to stop sinning and to grow in sanctification by submitting and putting together the death, the remnants of our old sin nature. And according to the Bible, and this is so important for us to get today, according to the Bible, a Christian, a true Christian, is a person who has faced the reality of the problem of sins and of sin, and he's repented of both. Let me go to another scripture. pick on my son again. I, he, he, he was the first out of the womb, so I mean, we, he got, he got a, a big dose of it. We learned that whatever the Lord pleases, he does, but one day we were driving in the car, and, and I, we were talking about what does it mean to be a Christian, and he, he, was, he was a little guy. And I will never forget, he didn't quote it exactly, and to this day, I'm not even sure where he got it. Because I hadn't, I hadn't taught him this. But he was basically quoting Ezekiel 36, 26. He said, Dad, it means that God takes away our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. 
If you grew up under the kind of Christianity that just told you to stop doing bad things and try harder, but never told you that there was a complete renewal, a a complete transfer of the heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, this is one of the most liberating things that you can understand. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. If you have a car, an old car, and it's got engine problems, you go to the mechanic and he says, you you got bad problems with your engine. Well, what can I do to fix it up? Can I put on a new, well, I was going to say a carburetor. That dates me. Could I put new fuel injectors in? Could I, could I put a new crankshaft in? Could I put new what, whatever, whatever? the? He said, no, you know what you need? It, nothing less than a whole new engine. That's basically what God is saying. You don't need reconditioning of your heart. You need a whole new heart, and that's what God does when he saves you in Jesus. That is so incredible. Let's look at another illustration. If you've got an old computer and you're trying to run software on Windows 8, you're trying to run the latest software and it just is not working. Maybe that's what you needed this week, Eric. (laughs) Trying to download a new program. Now, you know what what you probably need? You're going to take your computer in and say, what can I do with my old Tandy here? My Pioneer, Radio Shack 64. Uh, You know what? You need a whole new CPU, Central Processing Unit. They don't make upgrades for these anymore. You need a whole new one. You need a whole new computer. You know what? If you, listen, one of the reasons why people who call themselves Christians but who aren't, and they don't realize it, but they're so frustrated is because they're trying to run God's new software without a new CPU. That was the story of my life. Until a young man in his early 20s, I tell you, my, my byline was, when I try, I fail. When I try, I fail. But when I started trusting that God could give me a new heart and out of that would grow a new life, when I started trusting, then there began to be some success. This is the goal of the gospel. Look at it. If if you do not understand that God came to, 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 to heal you, to save you from your twofold problem, you won't get this. The goal of our instruction, what is our instruction? The gospel. It's always the gospel. What's the goal of our instruction? Love. That's the action. From what? A pure heart. Who has a pure heart? Other than those who have been renewed, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And then later on in this same passage of Scripture, look what the Apostle Paul says. Now, this is so key for for you understanding how he saw himself and, and how he saw you and how you must see yourself. Here's what he said about his former way of life. Now, I want you to watch this because these are not first statements of activity. These are statements of identity. He said, formerly I was. This was my identity. 
I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent opponent. I was a blasphemer against God. I was a persecutor of individual Christians, and I was a, an insolent opponent of Christ's church. He goes on to talk about the, the, the renewed heart. He is say, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. that Christ came into the world say, to save sinners, of whom I am the, for, the foremost. You see, the key thought, you've got to see it, is formerly I was. Christ healed Paul of his past sins and the identity of his heart. He said the same thing for the church in Corinth. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now watch this again. Just like Paul was saying of himself, these are not first activity statements. The activity grows out of it. They are first identity statements. Now, I hope you are following me because this is absolutely the key to see some of the things and to understand some of the things that people are saying in our world today, and they have been saying them. Do you not know that the unrighteous, that's an identity statement. If you're in Christ, you're righteous. That's an identity statement. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither those who are sexually immoral. What's the action growing out of that? If, you're, if, you're, if your identity is that your heart is sexually immoral, what's the, what's the action? Sexual immorality. Or idolaters. Nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not sure when it started. I just remember that in college, th there, was a, there was a whole kind of teaching. Now, I know where I heard heard a lot of it, was in, in, in working through studies with a particular group on campus, a very solid evangelical group. But this terminology came into vogue. Carnal Christian. Okay, how many of you have heard that term? Now, I told you this was going to be some, some meaty stuff. I, I, I hope that it's not over the carnal Christian. Now, now think of that. Do you think Paul, he said, formerly I was a, let's take one of the things he said, I was a blasphemer. Do you think Paul would ever have hyphenated his Christianity by saying, I am a blasphemous Christian? Oh, I don't blaspheme anymore. Do you think that he would have, he would have said to the Corinthian church, it's okay for you to hang on to that old identity. No, he wouldn't say that because he said this, just like he said it about himself. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our Lord. Paul blasphemed because he was a blasphemer. But when he was saved... He became something else. He became a new creation in 
Christ. And I will never forget, it was young in my ministry, my, the first church I ever pastored, and was speaking to a group of, of, of pastors in my own denomination and talking about this, this error, this heresy called the carnal Christian, and I was called down. So steeped in those kinds of things we have become. that You can hang on to an old identity. And yet walk in faith in Christ. You know, what's, it's a misunderstanding of? It's a misunderstanding of the, the gospel. Christ came to save me from my sins, but not my sin. Not to renew my heart. Is this making sense? I hope and pray that it is. A misunderstanding of the gospel will lead you to believe and you can fill in the blanks with any of these things that we've used. Oh, I am a hard-hearted. I'm a stony-hearted Christian. No, 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 no. You're a new creation in Christ. God's changed. He's given you a new heart. I'm an adulterer Christian. You could just go down the list. Be very wary of teachings that will hyphenate this kind of thing. Prior to the Southern Baptist Convention, there will be a conference called Revoice, which essentially, I've looked at it and studied it. Please hear my heart. It's not, it's not being supported by the SBC. It's just right before it. But the goal, the stated objective, is to make mainstream in the life of churches the very thing that we're talking about. It's a partial salvation, folks. Now, by the way, and I was tipped off to this particular thing that we can do by one of our ladies who wrote into the church, and then I got it, Carol Marley. I got your email. Steve Kern, one of our local pastors, is going to the SBC. I am not. But he is introducing... A, uh, a resolution that he wants to bring to the SBC. You can go to the website of their church, Olivet Baptist Church, and sign that petition. I've already done that. And I would encourage you to go look at it, study it for yourself, and hopefully you will act upon them. Let me take the last three things and wrap this up. Wow, should I save this for another sermon? No, I'm not going to do it. Okay, last three things. We're to be saved, we're to be spirit-filled, we're to be growing in sanctification. We can't do that unless we're submitted. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Folks, if you submit yourselves, therefore, to God, if you're in the process of growing in Jesus Christ, and if you're seeking to live out the implications of the, the whole gospel, not a half of a gospel, Guess what's going to happen to you? It may, be a, it may be everything from a misunderstanding to you being slighted, to being oppressed, to being opposed, to being persecuted, and even death. It, it could be something else. It could be a circumstance that you're going through. 
It could be a health issue. It could be an economic issue. Please remember something, and I've quoted these things before. The pain of shattered plans is always for the purpose of scattered grace. And one of our dear senior saints, Kathy Herndon, said, Always remember, no matter what you're going through, that everything in your life is Father-filtered. The last thing is saying thanks. Giving thanks. Having a thankful spirit. That's connected to suffering. Now, admittedly, all of us in here, if you're going through any kind of suffering, in your mind, the easiest path would be God remove the suffering. But what if he doesn't? Can you trust that everything in your life is father-filtered? Will you see God's providence even though you don't fully understand it? Will you have a thankful heart? Here's one thing that you can know for sure. You cannot grumble about God's providence in your life and give thanks at the same time. So the last thing is this, what you must know and what you must start doing. Verse 17, to him that knows the right thing to do and who does not do it, to him who doesn't do that, it is sin. John 7, 17, Jesus said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. And I think an application of this very verse is only a person who is willing to do God's will can know his will. Mark Twain famously said, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. And I would add, and don't do. The very beginning of this message, I encouraged you, move from saying about the situations in your life, whatever, to, Lord, whatever you want for me, that is what I want. And here's another little acrostic. This one's from Barbara Johnson. Usually I quote all these great theologians. I'm not sure how great a theologian Barbara Johnson is, but she's a great writer. I love the, the, the titles of her book, Stick a geranium in your hat and sit on it or something like that splashes of joy in the cesspools of life you know great but she she did this some years back and I thought this this is so good she lost two sons she lost two sons one in Vietnam the other in a tragic car wreck and one that rebelled against the ways of God and she didn't even hear from him for six years they reconciled eventually but in the midst of that I don't there people in this audience I I can't understand your pain but that's pain folks and she said it was when she came to whatever Lord that there was a there was a liberation and so she she made this acrostic let me just walk through it and then we'll pray we'll go have a great Mother's Day lunch the W excuse me the yeah the W whoever you put into Lord or take out of my life, I am willing. However, Lord, however you want things to end up, I am willing, because, frankly, he's the only one that sees the big picture. A, as much as I can take, Lord, 
because you know me. You know me best. T, time is nothing to you, Lord, so help me to be patient in my circumstances. E, everything is in your hands, Lord, so help me to let go. Victory comes, Lord, with you as my guide and with my power. Eternity is with you, Lord, and it will be worth it all. And finally, our restoration in this life, Lord, is mine through you. So the message of James 4, 13 through 17, give up the illusion that you are in control. Someone will be in control of your life. You, Satan, fate, or God. Let's bow. Father, all we can say at a a juncture like this with a a pretty heavy sermon for a Mother's Day is, Lord, whatever you want. That's what we want to do. That's the crux of the life you've called us to in Jesus Christ, and it's also the best life for us. And so, Lord, help us to respond to you, to to perhaps anyone here today who does not know you, that today that man, that woman, that child, that young person would say whatever you want. If it's repentance from my sins and from my sin, then, Lord, change my heart. Take control. Take my life, Lord. And for those of us who know you, Lord, we need to continue just as we have begun through the gospel. Christ crucified for our sin and for our sins. Christ buried. Christ raised on the third day to give us life. And so, Father, through it all and in it all, we simply want to say and to sing here in a few moments, take my life. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?